This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. Acts chapter 10 uh, is where we're going to be today. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and, and turn it, open it up there. Um, if, you, if you have a real big Bible, this works out great. You don't have to carry it with you. It's already in your home. Boom, you can bust open that big old Bible and just take up the whole table. Um, Acts chapter 10, though, I believe uh, one of the worst feelings in the world uh, is, is loneliness. Um, feeling disconnected, feeling isolated, feeling like you are on the outside looking in to, to people who are connected, who are um, relationally thriving. It's, it's a terrible feeling. Um, solitary confinement is a legit form of torture. Uh, eventually, you'll just go insane, um, and your body cannot continue without human interaction and, and connection. Um, I, I would be willing to bet all of us have felt that, that weight of loneliness, of, um, of being um, impartially accepted, um, that, that there's something about you that, that doesn't fit or someone's excluded you. You're on the, the outside uh, looking in. Um, I, I think one of the, the times that I remember that growing up the most, and I'm sure people still experience that, is is at the lunch table, right? So maybe your office has communal lunch tables, or if not, you, you certainly remember you know, school and walking into a cafeteria and it being lunchtime, and nobody wants to eat alone, right? Where there's crowds of people eating together, nobody wants to be isolated and, and alone and, and on the outside looking in. And um, yet that's, that's often how, how life goes. It's oftentimes where we are partial towards others. Um, we, we exclude some people for whatever reasons. People need to, they need to change their behavior before they can belong with us. That, that there's a, an exclusion of partiality that, that isolates and, and pushes down and oppresses and leaves people on the outside looking in. And, and really for generations, that's how it was in the Bible. That, that if you weren't a Jew, you were on the outside looking in. You could know about God. You could even believe in God. But if you, if you didn't behave like a Jew, if you didn't belong with the Jews, then you were on the outside. You didn't have a seat at the table. Everybody else that, 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 that belonged and behaved and did what the Jews did, they had a seat at the table. But if that, that wasn't you, you were on the outside looking in um, and, and missing out on the, the people of God and the, the community of God. And, and in many ways, a lot of times the actual relationship with God, uh, you were excluded until Acts chapter 10, when, when God busts down the walls of segregation, when he busts down the walls of hostility, and, and he, he gives the message to Peter and to Cornelius and to the whole world that God has no partiality towards people, but anyone and everyone is welcome and invited to have a seat at the table through faith in Jesus Christ. The invitation would be cast to all people, come and belong in the family of God through faith in Jesus. It's the most inclusive invitation I can think of. Everyone has a seat at the table through Jesus. That's what happens in Acts chapter 10. Um, let, let's start reading in it. In verse 1, it says, At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. A devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. 
About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon. Yes, that's two Simons. Um, He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants, and a devout soldier from among those attended him. And having related to everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. So we'll, we'll come back to Cornelius, but what we need to know for now is that uh, Cornelius is a Gentile, a non-Jew. He, he's an official in the Roman army, um, and he's a devout man, fears God, gives generously, prays continually. And, and one day, this, this man, Cornelius, this non-Jew, was, was praying to God, and an angel appeared and told him to call for Peter to come and to share a message with him. And so Cornelius obeys, he gets some of his men together, and he says, hey, go to Joppa and bring Peter back to tell us this message. Um, And so now we'll continue. The next day, as they were on their journey to go get Peter, um, Peter went up to the housetop that he was at, and about the sixth hour, he went to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. So here's what happens. Cornelius has sent some men to Joppa to get Peter. The next day, while those men are traveling to Joppa, Peter is praying again. There, there's, you'll see in the book of Acts, everything happens around prayer. They, they're always praying. If we think that we're going to thrive in a relationship with God and see his power and, and not be a people of prayer, we're kidding ourselves. It's just, that's not at all what we see in the Bible. And so Peter's praying and he has a vision and he's hungry at this time. And so in this vision, he sees a sheet come down and there's all these different kinds of animals, right? So that's fine. But then he hears a voice telling him, hey, Peter, you're hungry, kill and eat. Well, I mean, if you're, if you're a good old country boy from the South, you're thinking like, come on then, it's hunting season, right? Like, look at all this food. I'm gonna have some, I'm gonna have some bacon wrapped dove. Like we're gonna go to town here, but not for Peter. See, Peter has never in his entire life or in his parents' life or his grandparents' life eaten food that is called unclean. And now this voice is telling him to do something that he has never done or never believed in his entire life. I mean, can you imagine being middle-aged and and now you're being told that something you had done your whole life is is different to to do differently? I kind of equate it to, for me, um, growing up, 
I, I was under the impression that alcohol was, was sinful, period. Black and white, uh, to drink alcohol was, was sin. It would mean that you either weren't a Christian or you didn't love God as much and you were a lesser Christian. Um, it, it was just kind of, I think out of fear of what it can do, it was just swung to the extreme that all alcohol is, is sin. And so that's, I mean, it's just kind of what I thought. I didn't, I didn't know any better. Um, it's just the way I thought. Well, then when I got to college and I started, you know, reading and seeing in the Bible that that's not actually biblical, that, that God never says, do not drink alcohol, that Jesus actually makes alcohol, that he drinks wine, that they celebrate with wine. Like, but the Bible does say, do not get drunk. So that is the command of God, but the command of God isn't do not drink alcohol. So I had to start wrestling with my view and perception of alcohol. I had to change the partiality that I, I treated people with based on whether they drank alcohol or not. And, and it wasn't an easy, uh, you know, an easy adjustment. Um, I just, I mean, I'd gone, I don't know, 18, 19, 20 years of my life assuming one thing, right? So it was a, it was a shift. Well, I mean, Peter's being told here something completely different, but God's leading him on baby steps, right? He's leading him to, to something bigger even. So, so what's happening here? Well, God's desire from the very beginning was that mankind would walk in a relationship with him, that they would be close to each other. Um, but Adam and Eve chose to go their own way. They chose to call the shots and decide for themselves what was best. And, and the Bible calls that sin. Anytime we do what God says not to do, we sin. Anytime we don't do what God says to do, we sin. We disobey God and we, we put an obstacle of separation in between us and, and God. Well, what did God do when Adam and Eve did that? He moved near. And with every person after, he, he moved near because God wanted a relationship with humanity. And so he moved near first through the Jewish people. His plan was that the Jewish nation would be a model of what it looked like for anyone to have a relationship with God. And so he moved near and he created what is called the law, the way to live in order to follow God. Um, anyone who, who obeyed the law, there's really an act of, of trust in many ways. They would trust what God says and so therefore they would, they would obey him. And it was in their obedience that, that they demonstrated their faith and that that was acceptable to God for the time being. Well, part of that obedience was eating or really not eating certain foods. Um, and so an act of, of obedience to God, of love to God, of faithfulness to God was to not eat certain foods that God said was unclean. And now God is coming to Peter and saying, hey, those foods that, that you haven't touched, it's okay, eat up. It's good, man, it's good food eat it. It's going to be great. He's saying these unclean things are actually clean and that he can enjoy it. Well, so what made these foods clean? Like why now? Did God just get lazy? And he was like, oh gosh, I've been trying these rules for so long and they're just not listening. Whatever. Just eat the food, right? Eat the bacon. I know it's good. You know, is that what happened here? That God got, he just got tired of trying to enforce some rules that no one would follow. And so he's like, cool, it's clean. Don't worry about it, Peter. N no. And this is huge. The reason that this food is clean now is because Jesus came to make the unclean clean. Jesus came and he perfectly obeyed the law, the rules. Every rule, Jesus did it perfectly. And so that rule book, that expectation was met and closed in the person 
of Jesus. And now what once was unclean is clean because Jesus in his perfection made it clean. He said it was good. And so the, it's a new way of living, not based on what you do or don't do, but based on following in faith the person of Jesus who did everything perfectly. And so now that food, it, it can be clean because it wasn't whether he ate or didn't eat. It was whether he had faith in Jesus. And that's what it would, would make him right with God. And so he could eat that food. It was clean. But remember, these are baby steps. God's really trying to get Peter to the place where he, he doesn't have partiality towards a certain type of food. He's really trying to get Peter to a place where there's no more partiality with a certain type of people. To help Peter realize that all people, anywhere and everywhere, were welcome to the table with God through faith in Jesus. Not whether they behaved or changed themselves or did whatever, but if they trusted Christ, they could be welcomed to the table of God because there was always a seat with Jesus. And so Peter, he, he gets called to, uh, to Cornelius' house and he goes, he follows. And it says, as he goes into Cornelius' house in verse 28, he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent me. And then Cornelius says, hey man, a few days ago, I had this vision and God told me to call for you. You had a message of salvation for us. And so Peter, it says in verse 34, opened his mouth and he said, truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. And so the, the message that God is teaching Peter and is teaching Cornelius and in teaching us is that he shows no partiality. The invitation is for anyone and everyone. You, you don't have to behave before you belong. You don't have to clean yourself up before you, you come to Jesus. You come to Christ and he will clean us up. He will accept us. He does everything that we need to do. There's no partiality. And that, that's incredible news for us because you and I, we're, we're most likely, I'm assuming, Gentiles. We were on the outside looking in. We were not good enough. We did not behave well enough. And yet Jesus came to bring us and to invite us to have a seat at the table with him. There's no partiality, whether you're, you're rich or you're poor, whether you're black or you're white, whether you're sick or you're healthy, you're male or you're female, whether you've got a, a good past or broken past, anyone and everyone is invited to have a seat at the table with Jesus because there's no partiality from God for who he invites everyone is invited. That's great news. That has to sink into the depths of who we are. We have to know that God has invited us. You, you've been invited to the table because God shows no partiality. The second thing we need to realize with this is that if God shows no partiality to us, how in the world can we ever show partiality to another? If God doesn't show partiality to us, but invites us in by faith through Jesus, how can we show partiality to anybody? Uh, the church should be the most welcoming and loving place on the planet. 
because we've been welcomed and loved when we didn't deserve it. The, the, the church should have the most wide open doors and arms in the world because Jesus had the most wide open door and arms for us to come to him. It should be the most caring and compassionate and gentle place on the planet because that's what Jesus did for us. We should be welcoming just as he was welcoming to us, to all people in all places. And so my question for you is, is there anybody that you are that you demonstrate partiality towards? That, that you, you leave on the outside looking in? Now that can be aggressive partiality where you are aggressively hostile and opposed to someone. But I would bet more often than not, it's a passive partiality. Where we simply just don't invite people. Or we don't welcome someone in. We just don't go and introduce ourselves. We, we don't go and take the intentional step to to make someone feel loved and seen and known. We don't open up our doors for all people, but for people who make us feel comfortable or that are easy. And yet God shows no partiality. We've got to follow in those footsteps. My prayer is that that we will be a church that loves God well and deeply and engages with him truly and real and then that we love others in the same way that he has loved us. And that means no partiality. But now a question that, that might be asked then is, does that mean everybody's a Christian? That, that everybody is actually at the table? And the answer is no. There's a really important thing to, to see here, right? Let's, let's go back to Cornelius, okay? So Cornelius in chapter 10, verse, verse uh, 3, no, I'm sorry, verse 2, it says he was a devout man who feared God. Cornelius is in awe of the God of the Bible. He loves God. He believes in God and he loves God. He, he uh, told his family, he taught his family to follow God. He gave alms. He gave, um, he gave money generously. He helped take care of the needs of people. He gave of what is his so that others could be taken care of. And he prayed continually to God. Man, I think if we just look on the outside, we're like, oh, yeah, this guy's a Christian. Right? If, he, if he tells us this story, if he says, I fear and love God, I'm leading my household to know God, I'm giving generously to people, I pray continually, I think we'd be like, this guy's a Christian. All right, put him in leadership. But what you have to know is that Cornelius, while he, he believed in God and he loved God and he was a very religious person, he was not a Christian because he missed Christ. He knew religion and he knew how to be a good person and he believed and loved God, but he missed the centerpiece of Christianity, which is Christ. That's why Peter, when he says, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Well, well, Peter's just talking about a heart that's ready to receive the message of Christ. Peter doesn't stop there. He goes on and he says, as for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all people, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses, 
who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Here's the thing. And Cornelius believed in God. He, he feared God. He worshiped God. But he still had that obstacle of sin in the way that kept him from a relationship with God. He was a good person. He prayed. He gave generously. But that sin was still there. Something, rather someone, had to remove that sin from Cornelius' life in order for him to have a real relationship with God. And only Jesus does that. Religion doesn't save us. Going to church doesn't save us. Praying continually doesn't save us. Being a good person doesn't save us. Trusting the life and death and resurrection of Jesus alone saves us. I mean, even if you're a good person, it, like Cornelius, that sin is still present. It has to be forgiven. It has to be removed in order for us to have a free relationship with God. And that is why Jesus came. That is the gospel that is essential to trust and to believe. Not just to believe in, but to trust and surrender your life to. To know that, that Jesus lived the perfect sinless life. That on the cross, he took our sins and in his resurrection, he offers us an exchange that he will give us his righteousness, his, his right standing with God, and he will take our sins away. And now, because of what Jesus did in that supernatural exchange, we can be restored into relationship with God. That is the part Cornelius didn't know yet. And it says that, that as he was listening in verse 44, while Peter was saying this thing, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word and they were baptized. That Cornelius and his family and his friends who he invited in to hear this message, they heard and they believed in Jesus and they were baptized and they were saved. It's in Christ alone that we're saved. So there's an open seat at the table for all, but it's only by faith in Jesus. It's only by trusting Jesus in our place that we can actually come in and sit down. The invitation's given. The only reason that we're left out is by our own pride and sin, our, un our unwillingness to, to see and love and trust Jesus and to repent from our sin. Like I plead with you, I urge you, if there's any part of your life that's holding tightly to sin that you're unwilling to let go of, not struggle with. Fighting against something is different, but if you're unwilling to let go and surrender to Jesus and trust Jesus with your life, then the Bible would say, like Cornelius, you may be a really good person, but I'm please hear me, you're not a Christian. And I don't say that to be mean. I say that because I think there's a lot of people that think being a good person as a whole is what gets them to God. And, and the only thing that gets them to God is Jesus and his perfection. Surrender, trust him. The last thing I want to say um, about this crucial chapter of Acts chapter 10 um, is a common theme that we see both in Peter and Cornelius. That without this theme, I don't think we see Acts chapter 10 go down the way that it did. And that's the theme of humility. Think about this. Peter had done something his entire life. 
something that he believed was good and right, something that he could point to the Old Testament in and say, look, I'm doing what the Old Testament says, and, and, and I'm doing it because I love God. And then God comes in and he says, hey, Jesus changed everything. You're doing it wrong now. You, you got to lay that down and, and do something different. Cornelius was a really good person. Really good. I mean, stellar. And yet the message to him is, hey, you don't have a right. You're doing great things, but you're missing the main thing. And one of the hardest things in the world is to be humble and to be told that we're doing something wrong, especially when we think we're doing it right. We do not like to be told we're doing something wrong. We really don't like to be told we're doing something wrong if we think we're right. Both these people, Peter and Cornelius, could have stood up and said, we're doing it right. We're doing it right. We're good people. We fear God. We love God. We're praying. We're giving. We're doing everything. Peter's like, I'm following the Bible. If they didn't have the humility to submit fully to what Jesus now brought in, I don't know that we see Acts, Acts chapter 10 go the way it did. But they had the humility to, to surrender to God and let God correct them. To, to, let, to let God correct them even when they probably thought they were right. And we are the recipients of that humility. Pride will always keep us from encountering God. Will always, man, if Cornelius was prideful, he probably wouldn't listen to that message and surrender to Jesus, and he would be on the outside looking in because of his pride. If Peter's prideful, then, then he doesn't go to Cornelius and preach the gospel and change the narrative of Christianity. But it's in humility that they both encounter the power and presence of God, and they serve the good of others, and we are the recipients and blessing of that humility. So y'all listen to me. God has shown no partiality. He's invited you and me and everybody to have a seat at the table, but it's only through a full surrender to Jesus and a trust in what Christ has done. May we not be a people who show partiality to others. And may, may we not be a people who refuse to receive the gift of Christ. But may we be a people who surrender all to Jesus and in response walk as he walked. I love you guys. I pray that God ministers to you through his word. I pray that, that we'll have a hunger and a passion to slow down and be still and sit with him. Um, yeah. Talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.